Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guest on this episode is Maddie Rotman, the head of sustainability for Imperfect Foods, a company that's reimagining grocery delivery and on a mission to eliminate food waste and build a kinder, less wasteful world. They offer thoughtful eaters sustainable, affordable groceries that make the weekly chore of shopping an effortless and delightful experience. Here's my conversation with Maddie Rotman. Maddie Rockman, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm excited to chat. Maddie, so why don't you tell us firstly what you do at, I love your title, um, uh, what, what does it mean? What do you do at Imperfect Foods? And it sounds like a very exciting role, but I'm curious to hear what does it entail? Yeah, so I am the head of sustainability at Imperfect Foods, um, and I help lead and execute our sustainability, so climate and environmental and social strategy um, for Imperfect Foods. Excellent. And so let, let's get into it. I heard of Imperfect Foods when you were called Imperfect Produce, uh, and I know your beginnings were in trying to find uh, new markets for foods that were otherwise discarded or dismissed by other grocers. And that's how the company got started. But since then, it has expanded its mission, expanded its uh, the products that you offer. In fact, now you sell your Imperfect Food boxes include uh, products from every aisle of the grocery store. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you know the company has expanded its offerings while still staying true to its original mission of reducing food waste and and tackling some of our climate challenges yeah so you you really nailed it which is the mission of imperfect foods which you're right was imperfect produce until about 2019 um, is to eliminate food waste and build a better food system for everyone. So we started doing that in 2015 really in northern california working with farms um, to figure out and understand where is the farm level food waste? So fruits and veggies that are odd shot, odd size, sort of too large, too big, too small, um, or maybe have some um, you know, cosmetic blemishes or asymmetries that wouldn't necessarily grade um, into a conventional grocery store. And so we started there to work with farmers and producers and understand how we could help them capture and sell um, these fruits and vegetables to consumers. So building really a D to C direct to consumer channel um, for odd sized or imperfect produce. Um, and over time, over the last six years, we've expanded quite um, rapidly to go from not only from Northern California, but now nationally in over 40 states. 
And as you mentioned, we're across all aisles. So no longer is it just fruits and vegetables, but while you purchase your fruits and veggies, you can also get grocery items, um, pantry items, as well as beverages and proteins as well. And so the way we've thought to do that is twofold, really. Um, on one side, it's how can we save more foods um, along the supply chain, not just fruits and veggies. So, you know, whether we think about mangoes that are possibly sunburned and we can dry them and our delicious, you know, private label and perfect foods, upcycled dried mangoes that are, you know, a classic every week um, or pretzel bits. So we think of when you bag pretzels, often the broken ones fall to the bottom and we're typically thrown away. And so we take those, cover them in chocolate and there are dark chocolate covered pretzel pieces, right? Because there's this um, broken waste in the supply chain that we can actually go and pick up. And so when we think about expanding into new categories, it's how can we basically find the waste or follow the waste, um, whether it's you know pretzel bits, uh, mangoes that can be processed, or even thinking about you know the summer. Um, we're talking in September, and over the summer we had aloe vera gel that there was a misprint on the back of the label, um, which was a really fun find. And I did spend about ten minutes looking for the mistype misprint. Um, but you know, what wasn't able to get to a conventional store because there was a misprint on the label. So how can we get into these new categories, whether it's household or pantry, um, because there are you know misprints or broken pieces of the supply chain, literally, that we can package and deliver. And the other way is when we think about, okay, we're already delivering to our customers um, all of this incredible produce and fruits and veggies. Um, and they're asking us to say, can we just get our whole grocery shop from you? Mm. Um, so we've you know, leaned into sort of staples to fill out your cart so that we can ensure that as we're delivering to you, we can have all of our sort of imperfect odds, shapes and sizes, but also some core items um, that you can always have in your in your fridge each week. So the idea of using the imperfect uh, foods is still center of every aisle that you're focused on, I'm assuming. Yeah, center of the plate for us. Um, how can we follow the waste um, and really understand where are the breaks in the supply chain or the food value chain, really? And how can we um, be a you know, a benefit to both the producers and manufacturers, and then also bring it straight to customers. Yeah, I mean, most people don't realize when we talk about food waste, people think it's about, it's all, all happens downstream when Americans are just buying too much food and tossing it into their garbage, which we, we tend to do. Uh, but majority of food waste actually happens upstream at the manufacturing side or the growing side. And so there is, you know, there's a whole upcycling movement and there's other efforts to to find new uses for discarded ingredients or byproducts. But what you're doing is kind of even more interesting, which is you're taking products that would have that almost made it, but for some reason didn't, and now you're helping them find uh, find, a, find a home. So obviously that makes you different from from other online grocers. But what would you say? You know, online groceries really evolved in the last uh, one would say decade, but really in the last few years only. Um, how do you stand out? Like what? Besides the that core mission, how else are you different from what exists out there currently in the marketplace? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, at the core, it is this mission, right? And so when customers are looking for how can we eat every day or how do we get our groceries to us, whether it's at store or for us, they're looking to make an impact. You know, you want to make sure that you are spending your dollars appropriately and can actually make a difference to this really... Um, often overwhelming challenge of climate change. And so for us at the core, we say, 
we know that about 30% of food that is grown in the U.S. is not consumed. And Project Drawdown has said that the number one way to mitigate climate change is to eliminate food waste, reduce food waste. And so at our core, who Imperfect Foods is and how we're different is we're offering customers as well as our growers and producers a solution um, to make impactful grocery shopping, to say, you can come to us every week where we're going to ensure that we're working with producers and growers to save food and make sure that you can get your food delivered every week. Um, so at the core of our, our, our differentiation is this desire to really respect our resources and eliminate food waste. And we've taken that internally to say, we've started with this core idea of how can we eliminate food waste and what other ways do we differentiate um, our service? And so we do our own last mile delivery. So each week you get your, your order delivered from an imperfect driver. Um, and we actually group our orders together or sort of batch them in a milkman model style delivery um, where I'm a Monday customer. So me and my entire neighborhood get their orders on a Monday. And this helps us to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions through delivery. Um, so rather than you know, having what, what we like to think of as sort of frivolous delivery, we want to have a really conscious convenience delivery uh, where we're ensuring that we're not um, using our resources irresponsibly, but really ensuring that we've designed our business to have this milk model delivery where you know you can constantly get your order each week um, on the same day and rely on us and then ensure that it's sort of consciously designed. Um, and in doing that, we're actually able to take back our packaging materials. So you think a lot of online grocery delivery is now shipping with lots and lots of packaging, lots of gel packs or sort of liners and packaging to ensure that your food is cold. Um, and so because we can deliver every week to you with our drivers, we actually um, reinitiated our packaging return program where you know even this year we've saved about 2 million pounds of packaging from landfill. So we can take back our gel packs and our silver liners that keep cold chain items cold um, and our drivers pick them up each week on your delivery day um, and take them back for recycling or reuse. And so really finding native ways to differentiate um, our service and create this responsible shopping where you know that you're able to make an impact from saving food as well as saving your packaging materials and sort of eliminate food waste and reducing your waste in total. Yeah, I mean, the packaging part is so, so important. I think over the years when I've talked to people about online grocery, the most of the feedback I've gotten is people have concerns around packaging, of course, because they're like, we already get too many Amazon packages and this, all this stuff has to be recycled or discarded and they come packed in these tiny plastic bags and, and other items that even can't be recycled. But on top of that, you the question that comes to most people's mind is also the issue of you know, the transportation costs, like, is it is it most sustainable for me to go walk um, to my local grocery store and pick up some items or maybe the farmer's market versus ordering it online? And now maybe it's getting uh, shipped across the country and then delivered to my door. So what I'm trying to really get to is that, you know, how do you tackle, how, how do you, obviously it's a, it's a, it's an evolving process, right? How do you address these various factors and try to minimize your impact? There's obviously going to be an impact with any form yeah. of food production and distribution. Like what are you doing on the transportation side? The, uh, and to a certain extent, you know, because you do stock products from other uh, you know, you don't grow your own food. And I'm assuming you, you said you do some private label products, but 
Uh, how do you ensure supply, some transparency on the supply chain side as well? Because that tends to be a concern people have. So a lot of questions there, really. It's transportation, yeah. um, local, whether it's superior. to uh, How do you compete with that? And how does it stack up um, even when it comes to supply chain transparency? Like what are you doing to make, be better there? Yeah, so I think I'm going to tackle the first question. And if yeah. I miss things, we'll come back. But the, the way we think about it, um, a lot <laughs> um, and in circles is around this idea of avoided emissions or avoided impact. Um, so when we are able to save food, what happens is instead of taking an apple and it getting left in the field or composted or dumped, we're able to bring this apple for someone to eat, right? And so what that does is actually avoid producing a whole nother apple and all of the logistics and transportation in the production. And so we say of all the food we're able to save, how many greenhouse gas emissions are we actually avoiding? And we can aggregate that up. And we do the same thing for transportation. So we look at the end of the year and say, of all of the deliveries we made to our customers and knowing the average amount of miles that a customer drives, because it is drives to the grocery store, when we look at the entire nation and the EPA helps us with this, um, how many emissions were we able to avoid? And so in 2020, it's about 22,000 tons of greenhouse gas emissions that we were able to avoid from saving food and about 12,800 tons of greenhouse gas emissions that we're able to save from our transportation aggregation. And so while there's individual you know, situations that you as a consumer can think about, we look at our entire consumer network and our entire customers across the country um, in over 40 states sort of in their own little ecosystems and say, how can we help you as aggregation as it's the Imperfect Foods family um, and think about what, what bad outcomes can we avoid and how can we sort of provide a service that in aggregate for all of our customers can provide a better outcome. And that's massive. I mean, I've said those numbers pretty quickly, but you know, 33,000 tons of carbon emissions that we're able to avoid as composed to you know, a conventional grocer or online grocery delivery is an incredible feat um, for us. And, and that's made possible by each customer, right? It's 12, the, just the avoided emissions from transportation, that 12,800 tons, that's about 2,800 cars driving all year round, never stopping. And so when we think about how can we measure internally, we're thinking about what would a customer do and all of our customers, our hundreds of thousands of customers do each week and how can we provide them a better service that through our aggregation and through our sort of connectivity of our customers together, build a better system. Mm -hmm. And this is based on a life cycle analysis you've conducted or basically looking at their sales data across the country. Uh, I don't even know if traditional gro grocers do a life cycle analysis. I know some brands tend to do that. Um, so where's the data coming from and, and how does it sort of compare? I mean, I, you kind of did lay it yeah. out pretty clearly, but would love to learn what you've done there. Yeah, so we partner with Watershed Climate as our um, carbon accounting partner, um, and they've really helped us understand and you know third-party verified our greenhouse gas um, emissions and protocol sort of standards of comparing our system versus a conventional system um, and using sort of standards of EPA data around what consumers are doing or um, EPA data and sort of public information about what conventional grocers are doing. Um, so that, that's our version, and it's quite native, right, because this, this field and this sector is nascent. Um, and so for us to keep evolving and keep innovating against um, sort of the conventional system that's not as transparent or not as clear of how they're 
um, producing emissions. You know, most grocers are not actually um, sharing their emissions data. A lot of European grocers are, but not in the U.S. just yet. Got it. Okay. So for us to publicly disclose this is is quite uh, revolutionary for the grocery space. Yeah, I mean, it sets a new standard, which I think is, is def- if we don't do that now in 2021, I, mean, I don't know what we're waiting for. So um, I'd love to, you know, you mentioned uh, right up front about how you think of the imperfect produce and the imperfect foods as being, or the foods that would otherwise be uh, yeah, oddly shaped or yeah. would have been discarded is sort of your center of the plate. Um, do you, how much of that is part of your, your sort of ordering process? Cause I know customers can customize their deliveries. Do you try to nudge them in, in that direction or are you sort of agnostic, let people choose what they want, let, if they want to get name brands, let them do that. Let's not force them to make choices. Um, yeah, we're in the middle. So we have a very curated assortment. So we have a very small assortment compared to a conventional box store. Um, and that means that we, the way we do that, and the reason we do that is we work with our producers and manufacturers to say, where is your waste stream? So specifically in produce, um, our growers tell us every single week um, what their product is, what the imperfection is, and also what would have happened to it. Um, so we know, and we can measure our impact, but more importantly, they tell us, you know, these oranges are scarred because there was a hailstorm, or, you know, um, cabbage actually has some outer level sort of rusting around the edges because, you know, Texas froze in March or um, whatever the different reason is. And we're actually able through our e-commerce platform to translate that imperfection to our customers. So we tell you these lemons are really tiny this week. These oranges are scarred. Um, There might be some rusting on the greens, whatever that imperfection is so that our customers can know and choose. Um, And our goal is to have a really curated assortment. So we might not have romaine lettuce every single week, but we'll always have a leafy green. Um, And so whatever that imperfection is, that enables us to be pretty nimble in the supply chain to sort of follow the waste. Um, So we don't have the same things every single week, but we'll always have options for what you're looking for. So we're not ensuring that customers have to make a choice between, you know, perfect greens or imperfect greens. We really say, here's what we have available from our network this week. And then since you've expanded into now working with uh, uh, several brands and you obviously work with f- growers and farms uh, across the spectrum, what what standards, if any, do you have uh, when you're onboarding those partners? Um, how, you, know, you can do your best to be the most sustainable, but one thing I've learned about the food industry in the time I've been focused on not just the food industry, but the food system in general can be summed up in one, in, in, a, in a couple of words, it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, you can do your best, but you sit within one uh, node of a very complex ecosystem. Uh, so to the extent you can, how as a gatekeeper, as a platform, uh, how do you ensure that your partners that st- live up to certain standards so that when someone is is making a choice with imperfect foods, they know that they are making a choice that's either been vetted or that meets certain levels of, um, whether it comes to waste reduction or greenhouse gas emissions or supply chain transparency, that it is the better choice, in fact. Yeah. Um, I mean, our purchasing and supply team does an incredible job. Um, so I'm going to speak on their behalf and sort of praise them for this, um, which is that, you know, the majority of our products are saved, right? And they have an imperfection and wouldn't make it into a conventional store. Um, And so we are really transparent on our site of what that imperfection reason is and really tell that story so that 
what we are hearing from our producers and manufacturers, you get to feel part of that. Um, and you are part of that. We're taking you on that journey. So if it's near best by date and we have sort of a short coded item, we'll tell you what that best by date is. So you can, you know, be informed and you don't feel surprised. Um, if something has, as I mentioned, aloe vera has sort of a spelling mistake, we'll tell you what that is. We'll tell you what those different challenges are. And then there's some of our staples that I mentioned that we will carry. And we work with our, you know, producers and manufacturers to find the really sustainable source of that. Um, as you mentioned, it is complicated. And so, you know, we do sell um, protein alternatives and we know that those have a lot of water savings and land savings sort of in the larger agricultural space. We do carry proteins and we work, you know, our chicken is from Cook Center Chicken um, and it's, you know, a regeneratively raised bird um, with special genetics. It's really great for the land um, and a veg fed bird. So it's some of the best chicken you could be purchasing. Um, we do have some beef that, you know, is grass fed and pasture raised as well as eggs. So we're working with producers and sort of have standards within each category or item to ensure that it is sustainably sourced and vetted by our team. And because there aren't as many options and we have this really curated tight assortment, it enables us to have spend more time to ensure that that's happening um, as opposed to offering, you know, um, a large, you know, sometimes you walk into the grocery store and you're like, I don't know which one to choose. There's a thousand options um, with a curated online assortment. You can really tell and we can tell that story to you. I think your your response to that question does give me uh, the answer to a follow-up that I have in mind, but I just want to clarify is that when it comes to, you know, when it comes to meat, dairy, eggs, and uh, seafood, it's, it's you know, we know how they the the potential damage to land fresh water the rainforest but it all depends on how these products are produced um we know the reality is in in the united states 99% of meat dairy and eggs comes from factory farms i'm assuming those are not the partners you're working with um and i think your answer about it being a curated group of partners is probably one way you tackle that problem is you you only work with a few um, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. So just can you clarify in terms of the the animal protein options that you do carry? Because, you know, that's another question most consumers have is that, what am I supposed to do? Where where do I, should I quit meat? Should I be only eating plant-based meat? Uh, what's sustainable? Who can I believe? Um, what is your, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I mean, this is a complicated question and we could, you know, <laughs> have drinks and spend hours on this one. Um, so to make it short and sort of clear for, for anyone listening or sort of any customer that's thinking about this, um, we're not, you know, we're providing the entire array. So we do have protein alternatives. We do have, you know, meat options. Um, and we're trying our best and sharing with you what the specs are that we have after, right? So I mentioned our chicken is pasture raised, which is, you know, an incredible standard, this Cook's Venture chicken. Um, our eggs are as well. Um, and so we're, we're sharing the attributes that we have sought out and worked with our small number of producers to, to vet for you um, and share and hope that you align on our value sharing um, so that you know that it has been vetted by us, right? We, we're not giving you 50 options and you have that overwhelming choice. We're giving you one or two that we have vetted for you. Um, so it's a complicated question, um, which is why when we started with fruits and vegetables, um, as a business, and you know, we all should start our meals with fruits and vegetables. If you're asking me personally, um, and starting there and expanding to those other categories relies on us both trying to save food. So whether you know there are a few protein options like you know our offcut um, salmon, 
So we have all of our salmon ends and bits. So they're just not um, evenly cut fillets. So you can imagine a fish is not a square, actually. There's some shape to it. Um, and so we have those odd cuts of salmon. And so we're able to save those. Um, but the majority of our proteins are sort of a perfect spec. Um, and we tell you what those attributes are that we're looking for. Yeah. And then Does that answer. Yeah, that definitely answers my question. I also, you know, in thinking about this is a, it's not like you can have a fix to the problem. You've got to find ways to, to learn to tackle some of these challenges. And and I, I want to get into some of the biggest challenges that you're, you're, you think you're facing as well as your partners, but kind of leave you with a thought before you answer that question, which is, um, or maybe it's a question in itself, because when I think of the future and if Imperfect Foods continues to grow at the, at the pace it's growing, um, and you are offering an alternative to traditional grocery, uh, do you worry, and maybe this is part of the challenges you face, that you are now going to increase demand for these products that currently have limited you know, supply? Because when, you, when you're producing you know, high welfare animal products, or there's only so much you can do without then becoming a factory farm yourself, right? So do you do you worry that with scale, you'll eventually end up encountering some of these challenges? And what other challenges do you think you and your partners are sort of grappling with as you try, you know, you're all trying to do the right thing. You're all trying to be better than the, ex- the existing system is rotten, right? The existing food system is, is, is what's got us to the point where, what, one third of global greenhouse gas emissions uh, incredible amount of food being wasted and, and the destruction of the rainforest, our oceans, um, and using our precious natural resources. So let's put that aside. The existing system needs to change. What are your biggest obstacles along the way to be the better option? So I'm going to flip it a little bit, but I think, the, and because of what you mentioned, our biggest opportunity and the reason we want to grow is because there's still 229 billion pounds of food that are not being consumed every year in the U.S. that are being grown. So I'm not saying that that's the amount of food we could grow. I'm saying we are growing 229 billion tons of food and we are not consuming it. And so if we can find ways to save that food and bring that to customers' plates through, you know, whether it's just whole produce and we can capture that all and build the infrastructure and the transportation networks we need to save all that food from all the farms, whether it's through processing and more upcycled items, um, you know, whether we think of dehydration and chips and uh, salsas and, you know, fresh cut food, or we think of, um, you know, the different alternatives of processing and um, sort of the off specs or the upcycled items or the byproducts of production. So I'm thinking of renewal mills and all mm-hmm. of their incredible flowers from the byproducts of different productions. Um, all of those different opportunities, again, whole processed or and any of the upcycled items, that is why we want to grow and scale because there's so much more food we can save um, and finding new alternatives and new routes for it. Um, that's what excites us. That's what gets us going every day. Um, the challenge to that is we have to build it. Right. So we started with just the farm level fresh produce, knowing that what we had to build was a distribution network and a recovery network, truly, um, as well as a marketplace and build the consumer demand. We've built a movement, truly, and this activist sort of grassroots movement of customers getting excited and excited that they can come shop and have a solution. We've been building slowly this uh, transportation and logistics network and warehousing network to make this possible. And now we have to grow and scale that 
um, to save more food. So I say this as both, this is the super exciting reason of why we want to grow, but also it's not easy. Um, and so we have to continue to innovate and continue to elevate our design and innovation to basically reach that scale we need to. You know, what do you think the future is going to look like when it comes to, you know, not just what Imperfect Foods is doing, but in general, when it comes to online grocery and sustainable food, we, as we've discussed, we need this shift. We need solutions amongst the problems that we are finding ourselves in. Um, I like to give the year 2050. Uh, it, it is a bit far off. Feel free to play around with my question. Uh, you want to shift the timeline, you can go with it. But I'd love your thoughts on wh- where you think all of this is headed. Um, and, and I'll add one more layer to that question, which is keeping in mind that you know we're going to be a population of 10 billion by the year 2050, which is why I came up with the 2050 year to begin with. But secondly, Climate change is here. We're already adapting to its impacts, right? And that's all, it's creating shifts in the food system that have actually nothing to do with sustainability and have just more to do with uh, adaptability and realities of keeping a business or a farm running. Like you mentioned, you know, there's a, there's a freak storm in the middle of the growing season. It impacts you. So given all of that, I'd love your thoughts on where you think the future is going to be. Yeah. I mean, this is a tough one and I'm, I'm, you know, deciding not to get into time travel, not to get into any of these. (laughs) There's no right or wrong answers here, right? So that's the fun part of the question. No. And I think, you know, to to your point of the changing dialogue and vernacular, it's, you know, sustainability five to, I mean, 10 is generous, five might be more realistic. The the pivot was around um, optimism and design and strategy. And now in 2021, it's about resiliency. So it happened quicker, right? And we've lost some window or some runway to even keep dreaming. And now we're we're in the reality of climate changes here. Um, and so when I think about where I see the market going, um, especially at the end or middle or beginning, I'm not sure anymore, <laughs> of a p- global pandemic, um, online grocery is normalized. Um, we are not having the, the conversation with consumers of, do you want to buy your groceries online? It's where are you buying your groceries online from? Um, and so there's no need to um, convince folks that this is the, the means of the future. I think it's here. Um, so folks are becoming more on demand, uh, more um, omni-channel. So if you are brick and mortar, you've now come online. Um, and so there's these different ways that people are sort of all conglomerating towards the same thing. And so where I get excited for Imperfect um, and what we talk about a lot internally is the, the continued differentiation to say everyone is moving in the same direction and you can sort of see this path towards um, online and consolidation and competition, but it's perpetuating the same problem of creating the same food system that you acknowledged at the beginning of this question is broken. And so what we keep putting at the forefront is how can we fix the broken system? How can we eliminate food waste? And how does that lead us to design differently? Um, And so for us, it's about thinking about, okay, if everything's online, we're online. We are only an online grocer. (laughs) We deliver, we have our own last mile. There's all of these sort of attributes that we've already defined, but how can we be thinking towards 2050, if that's the year that we can save more food? And for us, it's around partnerships and innovation with our growers to ensure that they have these outlets and know that we are a flexible place in the supply chain for them. 
we were talking previously about sort of how the pandemic really illuminated for a lot of the public the, some topics that imperfect folks we've been talking about for a while, but that's this supply chain is really rigid and not meant for flexibility. And when we had a pandemic, it was the first time that we had empty shelves, um, backed up trucks that couldn't get into grocers and growers dumping food. And those were three headlines at the same time. Um, and it really illuminated the challenge of we need flexible supply chains and flexible value chains that actually provide back to our growers and producers who are really hit by climate change. They're the forefront. They're the ones feeling the temperatures radically shifting, um, droughts, et cetera. And so how can we be a partner to them and build markets for them? Um, and that's going to create, you know, a, a, a fluid or flowing food chain that we can provide to our customers. So when I think about where do I, where do I want the future to go or where do I see the future of sustainability? It, it's really this flexibility and design for food and for saving food um, that is not where the conventional systems of growth are leading towards. Um, and that's where we're going to stay. That's very exciting, Maddie. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to add one more note here, which is I, I do know a few brands who, uh, when the pandemic hit and, you know, the whole food supply chain turned upside down and nothing was working as intended and they were looking desperately for uh, ways to suddenly pivot to e-commerce, um, many of them found imperfect foods as a as a solution and so did many people who were looking for other ways to get their groceries. So, you know, I I know maybe prior to the pandemic, a lot of people had no idea and what the potential impact of a company like Imperfect Foods can be. Uh, but it's becoming abundantly clear that what happened last year and in some ways is continuing this year uh, is the new norm. And we've just got to adapt to it while we continue to innovate and come up with new ways to define what the future of food is going to look like. I really appreciate your time today, Maddie. Yeah, thank you for not letting it be black and white. It's a very gray system and we're all trying to get through it. So thank you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and rate and review it. To learn more about this podcast or my work, go to eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Thank you for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.